Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. At SLRC, they understand your dream to move. Moving up, moving on, moving your body, moving mountains. SLRC can help you find the focus to define your finish line. As a top 10 run shop in America, they use their 25 years of experience to provide custom shoe fit analysis and offer a premium assortment of footwear and workout essentials. Locally owned, locally operated. SLRC is movement inspired. Visit saltlakerunning.com to schedule your shoe fitting today. Hosts of Eden, written and performed by Jay McFarland. Episode 10, One Final Hope. Last time on Hosts of Eden, Marion and Mason found out the origins of the human consciousness that aliens called scions from a planet called Eden found humans to be a suitable host and began to inhabit their bodies, calling them hosts. Cain and Abel were sent to Earth to make sure that a device called Genesis, which transfers the scions into their human hosts, remained safe and functioning. But Cain had taken the device and was using it to transfer into the bodies of world leaders. For what purpose? They're not sure. Marion and Mason finally admitted their love for each other, but they both realized that their time together is about to end. Marion, Johnny Mason, and Abe are outside of the compound, right by the trap door where they escaped just a few days ago. They get out of a black SUV owned by Abe. Johnny Mason and Abe are dressed in full tactical gear. Marion's also wearing a bulletproof vest, but she's not armed by her own choice. They agree that Abe is to lead as he is an idea of the compound layout. And then they enter the trap door, which is left still unlocked. Once down below, they find that they're mostly in darkness except for emergency lighting that is flickering. Slowly and carefully, they move from one corridor to the next. At times, Abe gets the directions wrong and they end up in a dead end. Why there are so many dead ends, Marion can't understand. But as they progress through the compound... They don't encounter anyone. No guards, no secret service, nothing. Every once in a while they come to a large room, but there's no furniture, nothing else that would signal where they might find the Genesis device or even any sign that the facility is being used for anything. 
after several very long hours, they begin to lose hope that they're not going to find the device. This isn't looking good, Marion says. What if Genesis isn't here? Mason responds, then we go back to our initial plan. We take out the imposter president. I told you, Abe says, that won't work. As long as he has control of Genesis, and as long as he has the cherub in his arm, he will just transfer to another body and keep causing problems. Finding Genesis is our only choice. Well, if it's not here, where could it be? It could be anywhere, Mason says. We're never going to find it unless you have some kind of tracking device. Abe responds, if I did, I wouldn't have this problem in the first place. So what do we do now, Marion asks. Honestly, Abe responds, I'm not really sure. Without any other option, they continue to search the facility looking for any clues. A few minutes later, Marion notices something in the corner of the room they're in. It's dark, but she swears she sees something strange. They shine their lights in that direction and see something on the ground. It's sparkling. Looks like it has hair on it. What in the world, Marion says? They slowly approach the object. Look, she says, it's Shelby's doll. We must have dropped it when we were here before. So this is exactly where we were before, Mason says. He moves over to the wall that opened on their last visit and shines his light on the floor. Look, he says, footprints. He follows the footprints from under the wall across the room. The prints disappear under another wall on the opposite side of the chamber. There must be a room on the other side, he says. Remember, we saw something glowing over here. Everyone, look for a way to trigger the wall. They all begin to search the walls from top to bottom. They find two small gaps extending from the ceiling to the floor that appear to be the sides of some type of concrete door. There's a faint glow coming through the cracks. Search everywhere, Abe says. Down the hallways onto the other walls for anything that looks strange or out of place. After several minutes of searching, Mason notices something on the adjacent wall. He calls everyone over and shows them what looks like some type of patch or repair. Mason pulls out his knife and starts scraping away at the surface. Slowly, a triangle with an eye in it is revealed. Abe approaches the symbol and inspects it for a moment. He then raises his arm with the flaming sword on it and waves it in front of the triangle. The eye in the triangle glows brightly, and the wall quickly slides upward, revealing a new room behind it. As they enter the room, the wall closes behind them. Inside, in the center of the room, there's a large, rectangular object that looks as though it's made of pure gold. Oh my goodness, Marion says. Is that the... Abe responds, the Ark of the Covenant? Yep, that's it. At least that's what you know it as. Its real name is Genesis. Marion and Mason can't believe their eyes. They both move closer and examine it. Don't touch it, Abe says. Back up. 
if you touch it and you don't have the cherub or the flaming sword, it will kill you instantly. You'll be transferred into a new host and you won't remember any of this. Marion and Mason decide to keep their distance. So how does it work, Mason asks. I'll show you, Abe says. We have to use it to find out where Cain is. Abe approaches the ark. He and Mason lean their primary weapon against the wall. Abe waves the flaming sword in front of a symbol on the side of the ark, or Genesis. The top of the ark opens upward, and what appears to be beams or lasers come from each of the four corners, connecting in the center above the ark, forming a pyramid. Inside the pyramid start to appear what look like shiny bubbles. Inside each bubble is what looks like a transparent object. It kind of almost looks like a twinkling snowflake. What are those? Marion asks. Well, Abe explains, the round things are the hosts. Those are the human bodies. And the things inside are the scions. That's the consciousness, the soul. Those are us from Eden. Marion notices that the scions inside the bubbles are different colors and different levels of brightness. Why are the scions different, she says. The colors and brightness is an indication of the age and health of each host, Abe explains. Marion sees that there are many scions in the triangle that are not within a bubble or a host. What about those ones who are not in a bubble or a host? Abe explains those are the scions that are awaiting the birth of a new host because their last host has recently died. Abe points out that an empty bubble or host is starting to appear in the pyramid. Watch, he says. Genesis will assign a scion to the new host. As he says that, one of the snowflake-looking objects moves into the bubble or the host. And a brand new baby is born, he says. Marion and Mason again are shocked. They can't believe what they're seeing. It's all true, all of it. Everything they've been told. They really are from another planet. It's almost too much to take in. Marion steps back into researcher mode for a minute. So what about my patients, she asks. Are they all like Johnny? Are those real scions inside of them? Abe nods his head yes, and then reaches his hands inside of the pyramid and begins to move the host bubbles around. As he does, some disappear and new ones appear. As he waves his hand, it looks like he's turning pages or screens, almost on a computer. Suddenly, hosts appear in Genesis that have more than one scion inside of them. He says, here, these are the patients in your facility. You can see multiple scions inside a single host. So why does this happen, Marion says? Why do some hosts have more scions or aliens inside? Honestly, I don't know, Abe says. I didn't even know that this was happening. It would seem that some hosts can house more than one scion. Look, he says, the hosts with multiple scions have a slightly different color. Marion sees that the bubble is a slightly different color than the others. 
Mason chimes in. So why didn't Genesis erase the president's memory when he was transferred in to Johnny? Abe is now speculating, well, it appears that when a scion is transferred into a host that can house more than one, that somehow the memory is retained. Again, I'm just guessing. This is all new to me. Abe then remembers the task at hand and begins looking for the location of Cain, the imposter president. As he searches using the Genesis device, he begins to act confused. Wait a minute, he says. Can that be right? What is it, Marion asked. What's going on? Abe responds, Cain, he's... Well, this says that he's right here. Just then, the door behind them starts to open. Mason and Abe go to retrieve their weapons, but it's too late. What a surprise, Cain says. Here we are, back together again so soon? As the door completely opens, Cain, the imposter president, and two Secret Service agents are standing on the other side of the wall. All three of them are armed this time. And by the way, there's not going to be any surprise heroics to save the day this time, Cain says. He instructs Mason and Abe to drop any other weapons that they may have on their persons. Abe and Mason reluctantly comply. Kane and the agents step forward a few steps, and the wall again closes behind them. Marion is convinced now, truly, that this is the end. She can't see any possible way that they're going to get out of this. Why are you doing this, Cain? Abel asks. What happened to you? Cain laughs. The better question, brother, is why not? This world has become so boring. Everyone's trying to get along. We stop growing without conflict. So I've decided to create some conflict and have a little fun. Marion cries out, You have no right to do this. You can't just cause the death of millions of people. Actually, Cain says, I'm the only one who has the right. And besides, death is just part of the process. We need to keep killing hosts off to keep up with the demand of all these new hosts being born. Abe responds, You know that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're just supposed to guard Genesis and make sure that our species survives. Cain looks over at Abe. Oh, little brother. You always cared more for the hosts than for our own kind. I'm guaranteeing that we survive and that we're growing stronger every single day. Abe looks at Cain. You've lost your mind. Kane laughs again, probably. But I've made an executive decision. Get it? I've decided that we don't need a flaming sword any longer. I can handle things on my own from here on out, brother. He pulls out a knife and indicates 
that he's going to carve the flaming sword out of Abel's arm. If he does this and then transfers Abe into a new host, Abe will no longer be a guardian of Genesis. This will leave Cain with the ability to do whatever he wants without obstruction. Don't worry, little brother, Cain says. There's a new host emerging right now in Syria. You'll love your new life there. The two Secret Service agents holster their weapons and take hold of Abel so that he can't move. They pull back his sleeve, revealing the flaming sword, and hold it out so that Cain can begin the process of cutting it out of his arm. Cain looks at Marion and Mason. This is really cool. I want you to see this before we send you off to your new lives. Oh, and where would you like to go, by the way? I'm feeling super generous today. So I'm taking requests anywhere on earth. It's the least I can do after all your hard work. I really do admire you for how far you've gotten. It truly does look like the end. Cain has won. And there is nothing anyone can do to stop it. And to make matters worse, all of the sudden, Johnny Mason starts to act very strange. Kind of like he's dancing. He moves one leg in front of the other. I have to go potty. Marion yells, no, Shelby, that is the last thing that we need. But I really have to go potty. Next time on Hosts of Eden, Shelby's appearance complicates things even more as Kane, the imposter president, seems to have the upper hand. If he has his way, Abel will no longer be the flaming sword and the others will be sent into Hosts forgetting everything that has happened. Kane will then be in complete control of Genesis and will have the ability to manipulate the world's powers. Marion is at least comforted by the fact that she'll remember none of this. She's also glad that little Shelby, Johnny, and Mason can finally escape the prison that they have been in for so many years. What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com.